Hello, everyone. This is Greg, co-host of the Aspiring Snobs podcast. I just wanted to let you know that my book is available to buy on Amazon right now. It's called Kingdom of God. It's a little crime novel about a San Diego police detective investigating a, a terror, what looks like a terrorist bombing. And no, it has nothing to do with the podcast. But it was such a dream come true to write it and finally see it published now that I just had to share it with the world. And I, it, I had to share it with everybody, excluding John. He knows he doesn't know that I'm pimping the book right now in front of the episode. So uh, I hope you check it out. Go see it on Amazon today. And I uh, hope you enjoy the show. For the benefit of everybody listening, explain where you're going to go tomorrow. Oh, so this is how we're going to start. Absolutely. You're going to accost me. Yep. You judgmental, selfish bitch. <laughs> selfish? I don't know what's selfish about it. Judgmental, yes. Selfish, no. Okay. I'm going to the Bridal Bazaar in San Diego. Okay. Because now why? why? I recently got engaged. Mm-hmm. And also a friend of ours, a mutual friend, also recently got engaged. So we're going to go do an exploratory mission. I see. For wedding ideas and stuff like that? Exactly. Okay. Now, are you worried that neither you nor your prospective spouse are brides? Are you worried about that? No. Because, again, they have to call it the bridal bazaar, Greg. A, it's alliterative. <laughs> and B, women be shopping. So, obviously, <laughs> they don't call it, like, the groomsman uh, gavelade or whatever. <laughs> Give me a second. I'll come up with a good G word. Uh, uh, the Groomsman, good times. The Groomsman Gala, how about that? They're Gala, see? Yeah, that's why you're the writer. <laughs> well, Gala, I mean, it's not a party, though. It's just a trade show, isn't it? Yeah, it's just a trade show. Yeah. Can you come back with a report for us? I, I will. This I is will. why I want to start the Aspiring Spouses podcast. <laughs> there you where go. Where I regale people with the travails of single life, whereas you <laughs> um, explain all the, all the struggles, the trials and tribulations of wedding planning. I gotta make a list. This is dumb. It's like homework. <laughs> it is like homework, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. fun to Pinterest, but then you gotta actually do it. It's yeah. like my idea is just to invite everybody and assume that three quarters won't show up anyway, and that way that's nobody's what, left out. That's what we hope. Um, mm. So let's pray that that's what happens. <laughs> okay, we'll do. <laughs> Heavenly Father, <laughs> Heavenly Father, we pray that you bless this episode of the Aspiring Snobs podcast, <laughs> wherein John we we talk about a big one. The classic romantic comedy, The Apartment. Sorry to bother you, buddy boy, but the little lady forgot her galoshes. Mr. Kirkaby, I don't like to complain, but you were supposed to be out of here by eight. I know, buddy boy, I know, but those things don't always run on schedule like a Greyhound bus. Well, I don't mind in the summer. It's on a rainy night. I haven't had any dinner yet. Sure, sure. Um, oh. Uh, look, kid, I, I put in a good word for you with Sheldrake and personnel. Mr. Sheldrake? That's right. We were discussing our department manpower-wise, promotion-wise. I told him what a bright boy you are. They're always on the lookout for young executives. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're on your way up, buddy boy. You're also out of liquor. Oh, I know. Mr. Eichelberger, mortgage and loan department. Last night he had a little Halloween party. Yeah, here. well, lay in some vodka and some vermouth and put my name on it. Yes, Mr. Kirkaby. You still owe me for the last two bottles. <laughs> yeah, I'll pay you on Friday. Oh, and uh, whatever happened to those little cheese crackers you used to have around? That's just a comedy, bro. A romantic well, comedy drama. There's some heavy. There's some heavy stuff going on here. This is which, a heavy hitter. Yeah, 
which I was not expecting. Okay. And honestly, I don't think it does a good job with. <laughs> well, John, even before we get into that. Okay. I mean, we've we've seen some classics. We've discussed some classics over the course of our almost year. Doing I should this, hope so. Doing this podcast, yes. <laughs> Metropolis, mm-hmm. Amadeus, The Goonies. You know, the real the real heavy hitters. None are, none are none of them. I think are as decorated as this film. However, really? Yeah. Oh, mm, all right. Yeah, five Oscars, including okay. Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Um, on the list of a thousand and one movies to see before you die. Well, almost every movie we've seen is from yeah, that list. That's true. <laughs> um, among Ebert's great movies, mm-hmm. uh, on AFI's list of the 100 greatest American films of all time. Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> Why? That's a list made by old fuddy-duddies. Exactly. Which, is, which John, I just wanted to, after listing those acc- accolades, I just have one question for you. Mm-hmm. Why? Okay. <laughs> because the first act is a lot of fun. And the last act kind of sends you on a high, but it's that damn middle act. That's just a that's just a turd in a punch bowl. Let that's me tell just, you, that's the struggle for every movie, isn't it? It's because it has the greatest ending line possibly of any movie, and so everyone <laughs> walks away with like, "Yeah, that is a great film," but it's like ignoring everything else that happens in this movie. This movie is quite sad <laughs> yes it's so sad it's so long and i i gotta say a trifle boring i wouldn't say here's the thing i never thought it was boring i and did because I, I i did not like the characters okay but explain fair. more why did you not find it boring i never found it boring because it's like the tonal whiplash that's going on in this movie that everyone mm-hmm. seems to ignore when they talk about it it, like, kept me kind of in suspense. Okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, where is this going to go next? Because this was a mad cat caper for the first act, and then the second act is an exploration on uh, the nature of suicide. Yes. It's Shirley <laughs> MacLaine's pity party, is what I call yeah. the last 40 minutes or so. <laughs> so it's like, all right, where is Because And towards the end, it gets back to that. You know, now it's like, we have to get our two characters together. So I'm like, where is this going? Not that I was enjoying it, but... Towards the point where I'm like, okay, this can't get any weirder. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. It is weird in terms of the tonal whiplash. Um, to my mind, I was I was thinking of the other romantic comedies that we've watched uh, together. Mm-hmm. Roman Holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, what's another one? Oh, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, also kind of made around this time. Mm-hmm. And those are, those are somewhat more lighthearted. Mm-hmm. And this one, not so much. <laughs> No, and that's kind of the weird thing. Those two also have their kind of like weird touches where it gets like dramatically very serious. Not towards the end where you would expect it to be. No. <laughs> Not towards like the like they get the, you know, darkest moment aspect all these movies, but they don't put it at the right place. And no. it's almost too dark. Well, you you mentioned like not putting it also at the right place. I think it still plays by the rules of movies in that there are setups and payoffs. Mm-hmm. The problem is those setups and payoffs come within like five minutes of each other. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's in the true, last yeah. half of the movie, this is mm-hmm. also my problem with it. And by that point, I wasn't invested in the characters. I wasn't invested in where the story was going, which which annoyed, which actually annoyed me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then every little like setup and payoff, like a uh, two characters repeat the same joke where they show uh, four fingers, but they actually say three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by that point, it was like um, Simone Biles trying to ride, uh, get in line for a roller coaster after the park is closed. Too little, too late. Good God. 
I just That's imagine Greg like writing these down. He just has a notepad full of these horrible, horrible metaphors. Just, that was like, actually, that was actually an unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt joke. I oh, apologize. great. Oh, okay, great. It, it, it comes. Well, it, now, now, now I feel better because I pictured you like at the beginning of seven, just notebooks full of these, <laughs> like, <laughs> like a psychopath. <laughs> No, I keep those hidden out of public view. Okay, those, good. I, I, I'll pull out those big guns later. Those are just for me. Yeah, I'll let the, I'll let the police find those later. Okay, when the murders begin. All right. Anyway, let's get into our plot, shall we? Yeah. So the plot is uh, centers around a, a struggling accountant named C.C. Baxter, played by the by the great legend Jack Lemon. Jack Lemon. Mm-hmm. Now you said struggling. Um. Okay, he's not really struggling, but it's kind of implied at the beginning of the film he's not in a kind of higher-up position in the company, no, based he's... on the way that his higher-ups treat him. No, he's an office drone, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's pretty low on the totem pole. And uh, but John, and you're right, he is played by Jack Lemmon, who's very charming, and I think the movie relies too much on that charm. That is true, especially, yeah, I again... Yeah, picture, like, Gregory Peck in this role. <laughs> no, absolutely not. How, yeah, how you wouldn't, nobody would go along with it. But you do have to kind of give him credit, because, again, when the movie does get really sad, you know, he's really trying, he's really struggling to keep that tone up, keep that cheery smile, ha ha ha, don't worry, I've tried to kill myself, too, ha <laughs> <laughs> Well, John, we'll get, to, we'll get to the suicide attempts later. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's just, like, it was, it's, it's so distracting, Nothing else about... It colored my whole opinion of this movie. Nothing else about this movie I can talk about until we get to that plot point. Yeah, so at, at the very beginning, it, it starts with voiceover narration. Mm-hmm. Kind of it, literally explaining who he is. Mm-hmm. Explaining himself. Um, and, he is, and he is somewhat of a lighthearted guy. Um, he's the most, he seems to be a very cheerful guy. Mm-hmm. However, you do find out later in the film that he's, carrying, he's harboring this deep-seated darkness. <laughs> <laughs> Much like the woman he's courting, who's played by Shirley MacLaine, who's the elevator operator at the company he works for. Who also seems like a very cheerful person. Yeah. he She puts on a smile every day just like he does. Yeah, of course. And it helps add to this nice little meet-cute rat, uh, rapport that they have, this little rat-a-tat. Yeah. Where, you know, he gets on the, uh, the elevator and they start chatting it up and she kind of flirts with him. Or at least they seem to act flirtatiously. What did you do to your hair? It was making me nervous, so I chopped it off. Big mistake, huh? No, I sort of like it. You got a lulu. Huh? Yeah, I bet I get too close. I never catch colds. Really? I was reading some figures from the Sickness and Accident Claims Division. Do you know that the average New Yorker between the ages of 20 and 50 has two and a half colds a year? Now, that makes me feel just terrible. Why? Well, to make the figures come out even, if I have no colds a year, some poor slob must have five colds a year. Yeah, it's me. Should have stayed in bed this morning. You should have stayed in bed last night. Nineteen. Watch your step. And watch your hands, Mr. Kirkby. I beg your pardon? One of these days, I'm going to shut these doors on you and... Twenty next. That Kublik, boy, would I like to get her on a slow elevator to China. She's the best operator in the building. Well, I'm a pretty good operator myself. She just won't give me a tumble, date-wise. Maybe you're using the wrong approach. Yeah, a lot of guys around here have tried it. All kinds of approaches. No dice. What's she trying to prove? Well, it could be she's just a nice, respectable girl. There's millions of them. Listen to them. Little Lord Fauntleroy. You can't just... You can't make a movie about two cheerful people, you know, getting along with each other. No. There has so... to be a problem. And Jack Lemmon's character, t- let me tell you, has a problem. <laughs> so, in order to work his way up the corporate ladder, what he's done is he's kind of <laughs> turned his apartment into a brothel. 
<laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> he uh, gives access to his apartment to the executives so that they can basically cheat on their wives. They have a place to go so that they can have dates and, you know, uh, canoodle, I guess, would be the proper 1950s yeah. term. Um, yeah, and so he's, like, scheduling them around. He has to, like, kind of give up his apartment. At one point, he has to sleep in the park because yes. they overstay their welcome. So, he, yeah, yeah, let me ask you a few questions about this, John. Yeah. Have these executives ever heard of hotels? <laughs> Yeah, but who has the time to book it? Exactly. Instead, we're going to torture. Instead, we're going to torture this poor level-level employee. Exactly, and you know they don't have a fully stocked bar, so <laughs> this is a good point. <laughs> Instead, they take their drinks with them. At one point, I mean, get... I thought I thought it was a good premise. I thought it was a good jumping-off point. I like, kind I, of... I completely disagree. I know this was based uh, the two screenwriters Billy Wilder and I I A L Diamond actually based this on a real happenstance like they knew somebody who would lend out his apartment to a higher up who was cheating on his wife Mm -hmm. however i just didn't i just didn't believe it from that standpoint and also john explain me explain to me again what's his motivation for letting these guys basically rock all over him and use his apartment whenever they? well again it goes with the character he's trying he thinks he's working his way up the corporate ladder really they're just taking advantage of him yes but john what is he perfect metaphor for corporate america am i right guys am i right am i right (laughs) Where are my Bernie bros at? Where are my Bernie bros at? But, John, what does he say in the opening narration? I don't remember. I'm not ambitious. <laughs> like, this is the contradiction I also couldn't get over. First of all, okay, and the opening narration also does a little, it demonstrates a little character quirk of his, which is he has a very, like, trivia-centric mind. He knows the exact number of employees at the company. Yeah, he's so been he's... able to read their personnel files. He knows little tidbits about them, like their height, their weight, where they're from, blah, blah, blah. Not creepy. No, but, you know. <laughs> it demonstrates that he's good at his job. Mm-hmm. However, I guess this what this is supposed to represent is also that he's somewhat of a pushover, and he's just getting, you know, led along by these four executives. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And later a fifth. Mm-hmm. Later a fifth. The fifth person, so he gets called up by the uh, personnel officer, mm-hmm. played by Fred McMary. Yep. Uh, he's playing Jeff Sheldrake. And, Shel- yeah, Seldrick, or I couldn't know. I thought he, it was Selden, like that, like the character, like the character Kathy Selden in Singing in the Rain. That's oh, okay. The, that's what it put me to mind, <laughs> right. and it made me wish I could. I saw a movie in color. <laughs> I didn't mind the black and white. I thought it was. Nice. I I did this time, just coming off a of Paper Moon. Oh. Which, as you as you mentioned, you know, uh, Orson Welles was an advisor and did that high contrast red filter or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching a what is supposed to be a high definition version of this film. It just looked like a blobs to me. <laughs> I see. I liked it because again, we got two different flavors of it. We got the Midwest, and now we have the you know city skyline. So I thought okay. it was cute. I liked it. All right, but I have a higher tolerance for black and white than you do, obviously. Uh, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. So I just want to talk about Fred McMary because he's kind of perfect casting. So he's playing the personnel officer, and he he's this straight laced father knows best character, mm-hmm. and really it's covering up just a conniving horribleness to him <laughs> you're right and about that yeah and what's great is like the actual actor if you kind of follow his career this is what he was known for playing was these disney roles these kind of family friendly roles and here he's playing an absolutely repugnant asshole <laughs> <laughs> you're right about that i i just wish there was a little bit more dimension to this character mm-hmm 
Because as you find find along, it's many layers of assholeness, as you pointed out. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. It's like he hides it so well. When he calls Baxter into his office, you think, you know, he's caught him renting out his apartment to these executives and cheating on their wives. And obviously he's con- he's concerned. About- he's- At first, he seems like he's concerned about the optics. Yeah. He's like, this is a company of good repute, a good family company. Mm-hmm. But eventually, as the conversation goes on, it's like, so when do I get access to this apartment? <laughs> So I thought that was a nice little twist. Yeah, that that is a good scene because yeah, it's playing with your expectations. He calls uh, CC Baxter up to the like twenty ninth floor or something like that, and that's see, uh, Jack Lemon's character thinks he's going to get his promotion. Mm-hmm. Instead, he's accosted with this knowledge that oh, these executives are using their uh, using uh, your apartment <laughs> to basically. Uh, flout and commit infidelity mm-hmm. exactly yeah and he thinks he's about to get fired instead he's being taken advantage of again mm-hmm. but I just, yeah i just wish there was more dimension to it because it's so kind of one-sided yeah i mean now granted maybe that's asking a lot for a movie in 1960 but if that's also his big arc is the fact that he learns not to be a pushover anymore well yeah it's a catalyst for uh, see, uh, I guess we'll get to the very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Lemmon's character to not be such a pushover, and and finally, 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 <laughs> it does take a while to get there. And, yeah. yeah, move on. Mm-hmm. He learns to be a mensch. You know what a mensch is, Greg? A human being. <sighs> yes. I'm glad. I'm glad we kind of clarified our uh, main character's motivation an hour into the film. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But, okay, so now that uh, Sheldrake has entered the picture, Mm -hmm. we finally kind of get the meet-cute and this kind of start to kindle the relationship with the elevator girl, played by Shirley MacLaine. Her name is Fran Kelbrick. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Fran Kublik? Kublik? I always want to say Kubrick, but it's Kublik. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really Miss Kublik because they, exactly. they keep saying they keep their names. Well, and they also the have fact to. That you hear them about eight dozen times, like, mm-hmm. I can't. and you have to also imply you know she's not married. Ew. No. no. <laughs> and short hair, and all the guys want to date her, and they can't they can't get dates with her. Yeah. I mean, what does that tell you? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. When they first introduce her, you think she's kind of this strong-willed kind of single gal, just mm-hmm. hating the city, sex in the city. She's totally yeah. a Miranda. <laughs> um... <laughs> But as the movie goes on, great reference there. On thank point. you. <laughs> she becomes like this kind of wilting flower, and again, it's something I didn't enjoy what they did with the character. No. Uh, again, should... maybe it's playing with expectations, but uh, yeah, yeah. Because again, probably... they they make her seem so strong-willed at the beginning, but then it just kind of collapses. And he he announces his intent- his intentions to court uh, this elevator operator, and all the executives like, oh, good good luck with that one. Exactly. One of them smacks her in the ass, and she rebuffs him. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you think she is going to be strong, but John, it gets complicated from there, because it turns out she's having an affair with Seldrick. Ooh, record scratch. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to borrow the apartment so he can carry on with Fran. How yeah. awkward. What a pickle yes. this is. Yeah. And initially, she's going to break up with him. Of course, because Jeff, for the longest time, has promised, I'm going to divorce my wife, and I'm going to marry you. Mm-hmm. And he's been basically pulling her along this whole time. This, what you assume is a strong-willed woman, is just kind of getting led by the nose. And it becomes evidently clear, as we keep going on, that he's not going to leave his wife. So what does Fran do? Well, she does what any woman would do, overdose on sleeping pills. <laughs> well, John, before we get to that, we see that Jack Lemon and Charlie McLean have great chemistry, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now, what else do we learn about their characters? 
Other than they're suicidal over the fact that they, they're both single and <laughs> aging. Uh, again, Baxter's good at trivia. Mm-hmm. Um, he's good at gin rummy. He's yes, he's very good at gin. Um, Fran uh, has a sister <laughs> and a brother-in-law. Yes. We learned that. Mm-hmm. Um, Where are they going in life? What do they want? Well, that's the thing. They're both weak-willed people, and they're yeah, this is too the, afraid to grab life by the cojones. This is what this is what this I is really, what they need to learn. This is yeah. their arcs. <laughs> this is what I really hated. If it was a realistic movie, like yes, people. People in real life don't have these kind of ambitions. They don't have, you know, motivations the way characters do. Mm-hmm. But it's so clear that this is not a realistic movie. This is a this is a, a knockabout romantic comedy. Well, no, and it does have that kind of madcap tone for the first act. Yeah, you know, the whole like, oh, I gotta figure out who's gonna stay at my apartment. Oh no, I can't get back in. Like, womp womp womp. Yeah, like slap some a few slapstick gags from Jack Lemmon. Like he's, yeah. he is he gets a catches a cold, gets mm-hmm. his nasal spray, and he squirts it. Like, oh no. <laughs> And so it's like if it maintained that role, like that theme throughout, then it might mm-hmm. work. But again, entering the second act, Fran tries to kill herself. <laughs> you really want to get to Fran killing herself, don't you? Because I can't think like <laughs> nothing else about this movie matters. Because the way it portrays suicide is so like horrible. <laughs> You're right. The uh, listen, it was an unenlightened time. <laughs> Like, it's almost like they pass it off like, oh, female troubles. Am I right? <laughs> you could be right about that, because not a whole lot of other strong female characters in this movie are there. No, absolutely not. Yeah. And it, they're, either like, they're either like wives who just stay at home with the kids, or they're like floozies who just kind of hang out at bars waiting to get laid. Yes. <laughs> or are, or the gossiping roles. secretary. Oh, yes. Yeah, because <laughs> what really prompts... Uh, get, uh, I want to call her. Uh, let's just call her Shirley McLean. <laughs> her name is Fran. Come on, Fran. Fran. You're right. They never call. No, it's Miss. Uh, it's Miss Kel- Kelblick. Kelblick. Kublick. Kublick. Excuse me. It's Miss mm-hmm. Kublick because they all they all call each other by Mister or Misses. Mm-hmm. Uh, what really prompts her suicide is that the secretary reveals, like, oh, I was one of his. Uh, when I was one of his floozies. Mm-hmm. And oh, there was a woman before that, and there were women after me, and it's clear that he's never going to divorce his wife. He's just stringing you along. Mm-hmm. And that's what really prompts her to overdose on sleeping pills. Yeah, so she tries to kill herself in Baxter's apartment. Mm-hmm. And Baxter, distraught, being rebuffed by Fran, Yeah, he kind of comes home with a lady of the evening as well. Yes. Wait, John, very important note. We forgot. Okay. On what night does she try to kill herself? Christmas Eve. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> Talk about timing. Talk I about know. drama. <laughs> and again, the movie ends on like New Year's Day, so this is happening all like in the span of two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so he's bringing a lady home. He comes home and finds an unconscious girl in his bed. An unconscious girl who he loves, really. <laughs> exactly, who he has a flame for. Yeah. And he tries to like shake her out. It's like, come on, you got to move on, move on. Obviously, she's not getting up. Mm-hmm. He feels her pulse, realizes it's barely there. Yeah, Thank he's... goodness he lives next to a doctor. A very understanding doctor. Yes. <laughs> he knocks on the door. The doctor's Jewish, by the way. The doctor's Jewish. I wouldn't bring it I up just... if the movie wasn't making such a big deal of it. <laughs> I, just... I couldn't tell. <laughs> I mean, with a last name like Dreyfus and that accent, I mean... <laughs> what is this Michigash? <laughs> what is this Michigash? You're a putz. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> I just thought he was from Pennsylvania. <laughs> 
<laughs> so he revives her. He stays the night. Mm-hmm. And again, like... <laughs> this is Christmas morning, by the way. <laughs> well, he's not doing anything. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's why it's that's important what else that he's Jewish. Yeah, these people don't have families. They don't have anything else going on in their lives. And they're completely defined by just their, their work-a-day lives. Mm-hmm. Like, you never know if Miss um, Kublik like, really likes this guy or if she's going to reject him, Mr. Seldrick. You don't know whether you know Jack Lemmon's character is really going to co- go after her, or at, as this Christmas Eve night shows, <laughs> just get hammered and take home just a loose women of the evening. I think you're missing the point, Greg. Which is Fran tries to kill herself, <laughs> and it's treated like no big deal. I think yes, you're right. I think they tried. I think what the writer's intention was to get life and death stakes out of this lighthearted romantic story. Mm-hmm. And, and it totally it, does they not fail fit. horribly. Who's that? Just somebody delivering a bottle of champagne. Do you like some? Would you mind opening that window? Now, don't go getting any ideas, Miss Kubelik. I just want some fresh air. It's only one story down. The best you could do is break a leg. So they'll shoot me, <laughs> like a horse. Please, Miss Kubelik, you've got to promise me you won't do anything foolish. Who'd care? I would. Why can't I ever fall in love with somebody nice like you? Yeah, well, that's the way it crumbles, cookie-wise. Again, and the doctor, like, revives her, and he, again, so nonchalant about it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about a girl who almost killed herself in your bed. Whew, that's yeah. a little too much for me. <laughs> he calls them a Christmas morning. His kids are have, opening their presents. <laughs> hey, by the way, that girl that you've been stringing along, turns out she killed himself. And he's like, oh, no. It, she, it doesn't become about her kind of mental state. It becomes about everyone trying to save face. Yes. And that's what bugs me about it so much. You're right. Characters are completely narcissistic in some way. <laughs> and it's like, he, the doctor makes the point that it's like, if they try and fail, they usually try again. Just statistically. Mm-hmm. And then this becomes like a running joke almost. Not a or joke, again, but like, I think, yeah, yeah they're, they're always trying to, it always comes up. Like he, uh, Jack Lemmon's character sees his razor or something like that. Oh, I better pocket that and make sure he doesn't have ac- she doesn't have access to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me lock the windows because God forbid she tries to jump out of a two-story window. Exactly. Or um, she accidentally leaves the gas on. Accidentally. But he assumes yeah. he's like, she's trying to stick her head in the oven. Yeah. That's I guess the, that's the most like kind of comedic misunderstanding of it. No, but I thought just she was like, just going to suffocate herself on the, on the Oh, gas. yeah, or maybe carbon monoxide. Yeah. And that's know. the only setup and payoff that works. <laughs> you think opening, that works? Yes, because in the opening scene, we see that he has to, there's no pilot light or something like that. He has to light his stove with a match. <laughs> and that was established earlier in the movie, <laughs> and it comes back later in the movie. Whereas, if we're going to get to suicide attempts, oh, by the way, Jack Lemmon has a gun. <laughs> <laughs> so to cheer her up <laughs> I guess we'll get to the gun later Yeah, just set that in your mind In the last five minutes we learn that Jack Lemmon's character has a gun <laughs> Well, and he explains himself In order to cheer her up He's like, look, we've all had those dark thoughts before I once tried to kill myself <laughs> Over a girl <laughs> Exactly He tells this, like, oh, this funny story <laughs> I mean, those those are the funniest stories about suicide, aren't they? <laughs> exactly. I'm being he sarcastic, t- by the way. Please don't take that out of context, the internet. 
I know you're all good people out there. You would never do that. He tells, to cheer her up, he tells him this story where he tried to kill himself, but he gets, like, pulled over by the cops or stopped by the cops. And then when he's trying to pocket the gun, because obviously he really doesn't have the courage to do it, he accidentally shoots himself in the knee. He's like, couldn't walk on the thing for, like, a week. (laughs) And again, like, at first I thought, like, oh, he's just trying to make light of this, make her feel a little more comfortable. And then, no, they do reveal he has that gun. He really did try to kill himself at one point. But you know, we yeah, all go so through those. And we all go end, through those dark times. It's just naked manipulation. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's, it's like, not only does the tone not capture the tone, because of that, it just makes it come off so flippant. Yeah, I. Now, granted, this is a this is a filmmaker mm-hmm. who made Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> exactly. One of one of our favorite movies, and I think it's because that he he loves a sardonic kind of sarcastic tone. Mm. Or at least a cynical tone. And I think if you're talking about uh, Hollywood and, like, aging stars and kind of, like, faded beauty and money and things like that, that works. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about two hopeless romantics <laughs> in New York City, it does not work. Well, what And makes... I think that's the disconnect we're, we're seeing here. Yeah, and the other thing that Sunset Boulevard has is it has a level of camp, oh, which also true. kind of adds, like, another layer of kind of like distance between you, which is why when things get like really dark, it doesn't mm-hmm. hurt too much. Whereas like this, it's meant to be like a lighthearted romantic comedy. And then when it gets into these life or death stakes, it's like, no, this doesn't work. Ugh, that's just, it's not done well at all. Uh, yeah. Something else that um, Sunset Boulevard has mm-hmm. at least one close up. <laughs> and this is what bothered me. If you are going to kind of convey that drama, mm-hmm. uh, you really have to kind of, Again, convey it with a close-up. And there was one scene when she she had just woken up. She's just woken up. They started this game of game of Jim Rummy, mm-hmm. and it does cut to a, a single shot of her, kind of lamenting, like, "Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I still love him, but you know, I can't go on." <laughs> I, I'm being I'm sounding flippant now, but I, <laughs> that moment kind of worked because it was a close-up. And mm-hmm. I'd reading the trivia for the apparently again crazily another <laughs> another brilliant director like Billy Wilder apparently didn't like close-ups. <laughs> <laughs> the most powerful tool you have in filmmaking. Like, nah, I don't want to use it. Get the, get that stuff out of here. It's because cameras weren't advanced back then. They were just it's... unwieldy and impossible. So to get it like, close up, to get it perfect, and get it in yeah. focus, it was probably too much work. Yeah. Come on, it's we probably, got four yeah. more films to shoot today. Yeah. <laughs> Shooting color, too expensive. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. I didn't mind the black and white. It just looked... It just looked... It just looked blotchy i mean it and, does kind and, of work again for the whole like if this were just the middle act it would work but mm-hmm. again like it's a madcap caper for the first act like oh, oh no what am i gonna do yeah and again like the other weird thing about this movie is like everyone in his apartment building has a misunderstanding because they assume it's him coming home with all these different women every night yeah when it's actually the executives Mm-hmm. and again like they keep that going even well past the point that she's tried to kill herself. Again, she tries to kill herself. I can't stress this enough. <laughs> Over a man, John. I mean, put yourself in a woman's shoes. <laughs> they be shopping, and when they can't shop, they got a date, you know. <laughs> and they can't get the man. Like, what else? Is, what else? Why go on? <laughs> so it's just, I don't know. It just it. I just, I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> You're right. Um, I will say this: it's not. It's not as. It's pretty inoffensive, though. No. Unless you are a strict moralist and and hate the <laughs> hate the loose morals of Jew York City here. But 
<laughs> it's late in the episode. I know nobody's listening, so oh, okay. I can make yeah. that joke. <laughs> but even like, like, let's compare this to Breakfast at Tiffany's. You don't have that uh, Asian caricature. Instead, you have a instead you have a mensch of a doctor. Like that's as, yeah. that's about as offensive as it gets. No, you're absolutely right. And again, there is some craft here. I can see why yeah. people, again, respect this movie and why it has such accolades. There is some good qualities to this movie. I, I do love the first act. I do think that works really well until we get to the middle act. And then the final act, you know, everything kind of still comes together. And it's still kind of well done. Uh, spoiler, that, that... spoiler alert, Fran and Baxter eventually get together. <laughs> yeah. I See, I disagree there because it's, it's not set up properly. Like, everything kind of comes together in the final act. or And those setups and payoffs happen like kind of too close together mm. you have a Chekhov's gun literally five minutes before the movie ends <laughs> i get no because again it's, the gun doesn't really go off no it does it's naked it's nakedly manipulative which i also hated <laughs> well, because... no no it's like again one of those gags it's not a gag though it's it, it, it it's a gag about suicide again <laughs> that's what i'm saying no it's supposed to be overly dramatic instead we should no. probably a uh, little context um jack lemon finally quits his job he finally stands up to these executives mm -hmm. because again <laughs> Sheldrake... at the at the two-hour mark <laughs> yeah because sheldrake again the secretary who he used to carry on with she mm -hmm. finally tells the wife yes. the wife divorces him and then he finally goes crawling back to fran like hey now we can finally be together aren't you happy you don't need to kill mm -hmm. yourself anymore <laughs> <laughs> and baxter at first is kind of resigned to this mm -hmm. because again like this also seems kind of like what fran wants and he also gives him, uh, Seldrick gives him a big promotion. Mm -hmm. He's going to be his assistant. He's literally going to yeah. be in the office right next to him. Yeah. On the 27th floor. Ooh. Yeah, he has his own office right now. Three windows. Mm -hmm. The executive cafeteria. Yeah. Ugh. But then, you know, it. Sheldrake admits he still wants to use the apartment. Yeah. Implying that even now he's with Fran, he's still going to be carrying on. Because mm -hmm. he's a man. He's a man with needs. <laughs> No, he's not a man with needs. He's a he's a one-sided deplorable jerk. monster. <laughs> deplorable, yeah, monster. <laughs> not a whole lot of shading. Yeah, not a, not exactly a nuanced character, I'd say. But well, no, like what I like is the fact that it kind of keeps you guessing. Like, oh, oh in what ways is he going to turn out worse? Because you no, yeah, because you think like, okay, maybe finally he'll do the right thing. Nope, he never does. <laughs> I'm taking Miss Kubelik on. I finally talked her into it. I see. The only thing is, Baxter, I'm staying at the athletic club and it's strictly stag, so if you don't mind. Don't mind what? You know the other key to your apartment. Well, when we had that little scare about Miss Kubelik, I thought I'd better get rid of it quick, so I threw it out the window of the commuter train. Very clever. So now I'll have to borrow your key. Sorry, Mr. Sheldrick. What do you mean, sorry? You're not going to bring anybody to my apartment. I'm not just bringing anybody, I'm bringing Miss Kublik. Especially not Miss Kublik. How's that again? No key. Baxter, I picked you for my team because I thought you were a very bright young man. Do you realize what you're doing? Not to me, but to yourself. Normally, it takes years to work your way up to the 27th floor. But it only takes 30 seconds to be out on the street again. You dig? I dig. So what's it going to be? And eventually, uh, Baxter quits. Mm -hmm. He's like, nope, no one's going to use my Well, apartment. finally, that's another great twist. It looks like he's resigned to he's resigned to this fate, gives him mm -hmm. the key. It's like, wait a minute, no, this is the key to your office. I need the key to your apartment. Like, nope, I gave you the right key, I quit. 
Duh, got him. Yeah, finally, finally thank you. <laughs> and he declares no one's going to use this uh, apartment ever again because I'm moving out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He makes like Billy Joel. He's moving out. John, we don't have the rights. Oh, shit. So as he's packing up, it's New Year's Day. Yeah, they're working on New Year's Day. Well, of course. The guy goes into the office like the day after Christmas. Yeah. I don't know, and they said there was a Hollywood break, uh, Hollywood, uh, holiday break. Mm-hmm. Which clearly there isn't. No. Again, Jew York. And <laughs> that's why Dr. Dreyfus didn't care <laughs> that, he was, that he was making a house call on Christmas morning. No, of course not. He wasn't celebrating anything. No. Uh, Sheldrake goes out with Fran and admits that, you know, he, uh, we have to now start getting a hotel because Baxter quit. I don't have yeah. access to his apartment anymore. Yeah. Fran realizing what's happened... And I do love this shot. Um, you know, New Year's Day. May all acquaintance be forgotten. And Sheldrake is like celebrating. He looks away and when he turns around, Fran's yeah. gone. Mm-hmm. I do love that scene. Yeah, Fran is running home, running back to Baxter. Classic rom-com situation. Yes. Oh, we should, but John, two minutes earlier, we found out Jack Lemon's character had a gun. <laughs> and as she's running up the stairs, pop! Oh no! <laughs> Yeah, clearly he's killed himself because every character like, oh, I've 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 reached a, mi- a minor setback. Oh well, <laughs> I'm not long for this world, obviously. It was the 1950s. This is you know, you, you when you're resigned to your fate, you just give up. <laughs> exactly. The men in gray suits just yeah. What what are you gonna do? Yep. She knocks down the door. He was popping champagne. He wasn't uh. shooting himself in the head. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> do you do it here? Do you do it here? <laughs> Again, laugh a minute stuff. <laughs> hilarious <laughs> but they eventually sit down and they start playing jim rummy yeah and there is that great final line mm-hmm. he declares I, I love you fran and she she responds shut up and deal yes dun, 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 the yeah. end. and i think you're you're absolutely right it, it leaves everybody coming out of the theater like oh that was nice <laughs> yeah exactly oh that was a sweet little movie yeah who tried to kill themselves again <laughs> oh who remembers? ignoring the 90 or so minutes of <laughs> strange tonal shifts and weird plot machinations and Ugh, yeah again just a, a premise i couldn't believe like again get a hotel your executives at an insurance company <laughs> How hard is this? Why do you have to torture this poor guy? <laughs> and it's not like it's super expensive. He only pays like 80 bucks for rent. I know. Like and right across the street from Central Park. Yeah. And, and hey, bud, go, go to a bar or the library or literally anywhere else. You don't have to sleep on the park bench. <laughs> the library wouldn't be open at that hour. Come on. No, it's a city that never sleeps. Everything's open in New York. Yeah, Greg. The, I li- the library stays open 24 hours a day. Good point. Yeah. For the homeless folks. Maybe for the day after tomorrow, but not for this movie. <laughs> Spotlight day after tomorrow. <laughs> There's always food in the garbage. <laughs> There's another great movie. Yeah, another great tasteful <laughs> depiction <laughs> yep. of the homeless in New York. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's no way this movie could kind of live up to the hype no. of multi-academy award winner, you know, like top ten AFI comedy list. Well, it's okay. It's great movies and all that stuff. Like, there's no way it could live up to that. And the, but this movie really falls short. Yeah, uh, I remember thinking. I always feel weird whenever I think these thoughts mm-hmm. when I'm watching a movie, which is I always sometimes I find myself mind, uh, my mind wandering and wondering like, what would happen if this were made today? Because I think there is a kind of, and maybe that's why I enjoyed the first half 
is because I still think it runs a lot of parallels to like today with like Airbnb and rents in New York the way they are. Mm-hmm. This would make for an interesting remake. And then she almost kills herself. So then it's like, okay, no, this could never be made today because this is absolutely absurd. Well, yeah, you have to shift it in a way. You either, you either pull into the sardonic kind of sarcastic flippant tone. Mm-hmm. You either you either or you try to be yeah you try to be more respectful and say like oh she has a history of depression you know yeah make it more of a romantic drama not a romantic comedy yeah if there's yeah. one thing screenwriting teaches teaches us today it's that we can handle more information and I think these characters would be given a bigger backstory. Mm. Maybe you could say that they're, oh, they don't have any family because their parents died in a car crash and suddenly we're more sympathetic with them. Yeah. Like we could have a, when he's outside waiting for his apartment, you know, he gives five bucks to a homeless person or something like that. You know, he sa- that's a save the cat moment. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Are you writing these down? These are all brilliant ideas. <laughs> well, it does have this kind of 1960s, 50s thing I noticed about this movie, which is like we have to show every detail. Like when he gets home, we can't just cut to him like, you know, hours later. We have to literally sit, like, watch him, you know, light the pilot light. We have to see him turn on the TV, see there's nothing on. We have to see him clean up. You know, it's like... You say that, John, you say that, oh, we have to see everything. What, uh, but... No, what I'm saying is that's how movies were done back then. You're right. It's like people couldn't understand cuts. It's like, what happened? Was there a reel missing? (laughs) We literally have to see the scientist in the B movie fiddle with knobs for half an hour before the monster brain attacks. Uh, Well, because they have to fill up 90 minutes. (laughs) I guess that's true. But you say they had to show everything. This moment really pissed me off, and I made a note of it. Okay. (laughs) Earlier in the movie, uh, Jack Lemmon's character invites Shirley MacLaine out on a date. Um, For reasons, she stands him up. She can't make it. And so he's outside the theater alone. He's going to go, they're going to go see the music man. Yeah. The biggest <laughs> musical, the biggest play in New York at the time. Yeah. And we have, yeah, we haven't talked about all the pop culture references too. Oh, uh, yes. Like him watching Stagecoach, wanting to watch Grand Hotel, mm. stuff like that. Yeah. And somebody wants to see the new um, Bob Stack movie. <laughs> but he, he gets stood up on this date, wanders off alone, fade out. What happens next, John? The next uh, day at work. What happened in between? <laughs> uh, he just went home. Yep, he just went home, and now he's like, it's same old cheerful self as he goes back into the office. Well, no, I think a little more time had passed since then. I don't I think it was know. the next day. I think it was like a week later. Oh, yeah, maybe it was around Christmas time. But the point is, we miss it. It's another fade-out. I hate fade-outs. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the fade-out was appropriate. No, it, it's never appropriate. <laughs> Or I a poor fade They out. couldn't do cross the, dissolves back then, okay? The Gosh. Same way, they could. They could do that flip thing like they did in Philadelphia. <laughs> or Star flip. Wars. <laughs> yeah, that cheesy flip transition. You're absolutely right. And we'll get to that in uh, in Spotlight. Oh, great. <laughs> they could do uh, a wipe. Mm-hmm. They could do anything. I. But yeah, the the fact that it's unmotivated and like nothing happened in between this space and completely undercuts the drama of this guy being left alone. Well, I mean, again, they, there's a line of dialogue which mentions that he hasn't talked to Fran in two weeks. He's yeah. been, like, actively avoiding her, going into different elevators. She's not operating. Yeah. So. Eh. And he kept your hat on, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. those little details work, but yeah, this is this does not live up to classic status. No. It's weird and does not work in 2017. So dated. Yeah. <laughs> this movie's Why old. Why can't movies work 57 years later? I know. Ugh. Gross. Where are you going? Well, who knows? Another neighborhood, another town, another job. I'm on my own. That's funny. So am I. What'd you do with the cards? In there. 
What about Mr. Sheldrake? We send him a fruitcake every Christmas. I love you, Miss Kubley. Three. Queen. Did you hear what I said, Miss Kubelik? I absolutely adore you. Shut up and deal. Greg, you still there? Yep. Okay. I'm just trying to think of a way we can maneuver into spotlight here. <laughs> All right. How how do we try? Uh, yeah. mm. uh, uh, so, uh, spot. Spotlight. <laughs> Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. That's the best we're John, gonna do. Very, I know, yeah. John, it's very rare that we're on the same page. Yes. So maybe we'll get maybe we'll get on different pages here. No. Maybe I'll take stage right. You take stage left. Okay. And we'll be illuminated by a brilliant uh, floodlight. How about that? All right. We'll have floodlight. Ro- <laughs> floodlight. <laughs> we have Robbie up in the booth. <laughs> Rave, Rave. <laughs> what do you have for spotlight, Greg? Well, I have um, basically what I'm doing for spotlight lately mm-hmm. is finding movies that I think are basically better versions of the movie we just watched. Oh, <laughs> yes. So last week when we looked at Paper Moon, I thought of another road trip, com- uh, another road trip comedy starring a little girl who's nominated for an Oscar for her performance, Little Miss Sunshine. Mm-hmm. I wish when we talked about playtime, um, I wish I had spotlighted another... Okay, uh, well, don't go on about all the spotlights you could have done. We'll okay, be here forever. Fine, <laughs> fine you're right. But basically, I want to spotlight... We talked about transitions, yeah, and we talked about better filmmaking at this point, and I wanted to spotlight Akira Kurosawa. Okay. In particular, The Hidden Fortress. All right. Yes, because there you have a combination of laughs and samurai drama that works really well. Mm. And it starts with these two characters that are actually the basis for uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 in the Star Wars movies. <laughs> Were they made to suffer? Is it their lot? Yes, life? yes. Their life is hell, pretty much. Okay. <laughs> but they come across royalty, essentially, and uh, and that's that's where the great, not only is there great comedy in their in their chemistry, but also in running into the lead the lead actor, who's a, who's a prince. He's, he's played by Toshiro Mifune. Mm-hmm. Um it was just so stern, and my favorite shot of the movie is a three shot of them. He's just sitting; they're just sitting around a campfire. He's just stoic, and they're trying to—they're trying to get a rise out of him, and it just doesn't work. Mm. So, you know, I thought, why don't I just spotlight? Why don't I just spotlight this <laughs> instead of watching this weird comedy? <laughs> I thought I'd give you comedy. something better. Yes, <laughs> I thought I'd give you something better to enjoy. Oh, and that's the Hidden Fortress. Yeah. Great. In fact, any any Kurosawa movie is actually better than The Apartment. <laughs> Actually, you could just say, just watch any Kurosawa movie. It's better than pretty much anything we watch. <laughs> okay, fine. I'm not as big a fan of him as you are, but I mean, I really only have seen like three of his movies, so. <laughs> and they I've, are actually I forced all great, you to watch so. some more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so many more I have to force you to watch. Scandal. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The original Scandal, not the, not the <laughs> Shonda Rhimes TV show. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's finally ending. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Finally, show some restraint. <laughs> Good job, ABC. Yeah, now if they can only put Grey's Anatomy out of its misery. <laughs> anyway, uh, more importantly, John, what do you have for Spotlight? Well, Greg, as you know, opening this week was Darren Aronofsky's Mother! Yeah. <laughs> and I've been looking forward to see it. As of a recording, I have not seen it yet. No. But, but you're, a, you're a, a Darren Aronofsky, I wouldn't say super fan, but you've, you've really enjoyed his movies. Well, yeah, I mean, 
I definitely enjoy his cerebral psychological work. <laughs> I definitely enjoy Black Swan. I can't say I enjoyed Noah that much. Um, I thought it was interesting, but I can't okay. say I enjoyed it. Okay. Um, there are but, two different Aronofskys. I enjoy the straightforward one, like The Wrestler and mm-hmm. Noah. Mm-hmm. You see me enjoy <laughs> Wait, you, did you just describe Noah as straightforward? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, listen, it's a $100 million plus blockbuster showing, telling a biblical story. <laughs> I think that's about as straightforward as Darren Aron- as mainstream as Darren Aronofsky is going to get. Okay, fair enough. But John, you wanted to see Mother! <laughs> I wanted to see Mother! But it got me thinking about Spotlight this week, and I'm going to recommend a more subdued movie, Bong Joon-ho's Mother. Okay. So in what ways is this? I guess you don't know, because you haven't seen Mother yet, but tell us about <laughs> Mother. Mother is the story of a poor Korean holistic healer, I guess is the best way to describe her job title. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does acupuncture and does aromatherapy for the town, but you know it's a very kind of rural, poor town. And she has a child who's developmentally disabled. And so not only is she struggling financially, she's struggling raising him, you know, trying to get him to be well-adjusted. Mm. Um, one night he comes home late and the next morning a girl is found murdered and he was the last person to be seen with her. So he is uh, promptly arrested. It's up to the mother to clear his name. And from there, the tangled webs unweave a story of prostitution and blackmail. And ooh, this is just a, it's a fun little (laughs) pot boiler, I guess. What a, what a fun time of the movies. <laughs> exactly. No, it's it's a it's a movie with a lot of fun twists. Um, there's a lot of peaks and valleys. Uh, if I had one criticism, the valleys are a little wide. Okay. <laughs> there's maybe a few too many like uh, meditative scenes where the, mm-hmm. where mother is like watching the grass grow or the wind sweep the barley. You know. Um, yeah. Because, again, this is a very sordid affair with a lot of kind of twists and turns. And, you know, if he just tightened it up to a nice 90 minutes, I think this would be a great little mystery. Okay. Yeah. I uh, Maybe maybe with those cerebral moments, it reminds me of another um, kind of more mainstream, or at least less uh, challenging uh, Korean movie centered around a, an elderly mother mm-hmm. um, called Poetry. Mm, I think I've heard of that. Yeah. I think that's also on it. You saw this on Netflix, right? And mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Poetry's on there, too. I, I can recommend that one as well. Okay. Yeah, but, um, yeah, I I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of jumping off the Bong Joon-ho bandwagon a little bit. Well, I remember you've seen you've seen his other kind of mystery movie, uh, murder mystery movie. Yes, it's called Memories of a Murder. Yeah. And um, maybe just because of my exposure to the crime genre, like, I thought it was just a kind of, like, straight crime classic like nothing really unique about it other than the fact that it's in rural south korea mm-hmm. um you've got you've got a stern detective you've got um a more lackadaisical one played by his frequent collaborator i wish i could remember that actor's name it's the yeah. one who appears in all of his movies yeah <laughs> i know except okja he wasn't in okja are you sure yeah i'm pretty sure he wasn't all right i don't know there was a lot of korean people in those soul scenes yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little cameo i guess yeah <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, uh, I didn't see anything particularly like revolutionary about it. I know there's a film essay about the way he stages scenes in it, but it's just the, the story didn't go anywhere interesting for me. Mm. Um, although this one sounds a little bit more lurid. <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, like it's, the thing is that he can't really pin himself to one genre. 
So it's like, you know, it's like this, you know, soft, sensitive exploration about a woman who's struggling, caring for a a developmentally challenged man. But then it's also, again, the Lord Affair, like Lord Affair, where again, she's discovering that it's, you know, this girl was a prostitute, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's got all these kind of like twists and turns and things like that. So it's, sometimes they just don't quite gel, but it's an ambitious movie and there's enough going on that I did enjoy. So, yeah, I think. I actually don't think that's a demerit most of the time, because <laughs> yeah, I, the the host, which I still think is his best movie, and even then I'm not it's hugely hugely on it. Mm. Um, it's very similar to Memories of a Murder. In the first act, there's some unexpected laughs. Yeah, and uh, the problem is kind of you have to tell the rest of the story from there, mm. and you're trying to mix genres. And also, I I uh, I'm curious about this movie, Mother, mm-hmm. uh, because of the way the character it sounds like characters develop which i also don't think he does very well no they usually kind of end back up in the spot where they began most yeah, of the time or they're, they're just kind of types who go through a, a situation by the way i hope i didn't spoil anything by saying that that the characters end up right where they began at the beginning I <laughs> <laughs> now it's fine <laughs> okay <laughs> you've you've spoiled a a, a six-year-old korean film <laughs> how dare you sir yeah Actually, I think it came out in 2009, so I think okay, eight years, yeah, whatever. whatever. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can correct us in all our many mistakes when Absolutely. you connect with us on social media. Yeah, our last episode was filled with them. Yes. And the fact that we don't know how to pronounce Addy. <laughs> Look, we're from New England, all right? And we have, you know, a nice Connecticut Bruges. Oh, Audie, <laughs> darling. Bring the car around. First of all, I think it's Connecticut Brogue, which A, we don't have. <laughs> Bruges sounds fancier. Bruges does sound fancy. <laughs> we just came from Bruges. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, we we're in they Bruges. They speak with a brogue there. I don't know if you've heard. <laughs> Come to the estate, won't you? <laughs> but yes, connect with us on social media. You yes, can like our Facebook correct page. us. Make recommendations for us, too. Mm-hmm. You can reach out and email us at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. And if you would like to join the Aspiring Snobs fan club. <laughs> Don't call it a fan club. <laughs> I do. I, I, we're hashtag 90s kids. So we oh, need, that's uh, true, yeah. yeah the last time and when that was relevant. Yep. Now they just call it a fan site. Yeah. Or Reddit. Or a Facebook group or whatever. Ugh, gross. Yeah. But if, you're, if you consider yourself a true fan. Mm-hmm. Which we sure hope you do. Yes, go on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. Give us this five stars. Keep yeah. them stars coming. Mm-hmm. And write us a positive note. Yes. Yeah. Think. Uh, how about, like, we didn't swear too much? How about that? Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not saying you need to, but, I mean, I do have this bottle of sleeping pills with me. And <laughs> John, if, don't you, if you don't give us five stars, <laughs> I can't be held responsible for my don't, actions. Don't put that on the audience. Don't put that evil on them, John. <laughs> All right. We're going to have a talk after this. <laughs> okay. You're going to tell me that hilarious time. Yes. <laughs> when you almost that shot That hilarious time where I tried to kill myself. And then I'm going to make pasta with a, with a tennis racket. Jeez, how, also, how expensive are colanders? <laughs> He's a bachelor, okay? I, mean, I am too. Not even I. Don't even... I, I know how to... I have two colanders. <laughs> okay, we won't even go into what you don't have, though, so... What do you mean? I've got everything now. I've got a now? steamer basket. I just got a steamer basket. <laughs> oh, good for you. How, it's how long ago did you buy steak, ni- uh, steak knives? I have... Well, now I have four steak knives. <laughs> that I bought at the bodega, which is still around the corner from me. Thank goodness. <laughs> Not replaced by a vending machine. 
<laughs> Not yet, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> the future is here. Topical. And any event. <laughs> Listen, don't ask me questions. I'm not going to judge you on where you go to get your uh, wedding ideas. You're not going to judge me on my bachelor lifestyle. You already did. (laughs) You accosted me first minute. Where are you going tomorrow? What are you doing? (laughs) You weirdo. You're right. I was hoping people wouldn't remember 50 minutes from now. Where my position was at the start of this This episode. This is a very dense episode. This is a very dense episode. I know. This is so dense. There's so much going on in it. (laughs) What are we watching next week? We are watching... The, what are we watching? <laughs> Field of Dreams. <laughs> oh, we are watching Field of Dreams. Yes, it's the end of the baseball season. Um, the Indians play. Uh, the Indians' winning streak is over. Oh. And so yeah, we're gonna lament uh, <laughs> the end of the end of the regular season with uh, Field of Dreams. Do you think the ghost of Steinbrenner killed him? Killed that dream? <laughs> I, 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 we don't know the extent of his powers yet, crawling up from hell. But... <laughs> We'll, we'll see. I said Steinbrenner. I meant the old commissioner. What was his face? Bud Selig? Yeah, Bud Selig. That's He's it. still with us. Oh, he is? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was like a Weekend at Bernie situation. I thought they just put on sunglasses. And <laughs> like, still I'm still it. the commissioner. Everything's great. <laughs> Steroids? What are those? <laughs> yeah. No, he's he's doing okay, as I assume. <laughs> Who you should direct your ire at now is a guy named Rob Manfred. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ugh, even that name, Manfred. Manfred, yeah. Speaking of the Indians, he's trying to get rid of their racist logo. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good for him. But he says, he says, yeah, he's facing some pushback from the owners. What? Because it's heritage, John Heritage. Of course. Heritage, not hate. <laughs> I mean, at least they seem more understanding than Dan Snyder. So. This is true. <laughs> Give him <some. laughs> that. That's not very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a high bar across. <laughs> no. Well, we we hope you enjoyed this uh, episode of aspiring sports radio <laughs> radio DJs. <laughs> John and Greg in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Now let me tell you about this Jamil Hill thing. <laughs> Greg and the Bad Dog. Yeah. <laughs> 94.6. <laughs> Br- brutal and fuckface. <laughs> 510 on the AM dial. Oh, <laughs> uh, we have fun. We do. And thank it, you. Thank you. If prove that you've listened to us by tweeting us hashtag sports <laughs> Bruno and fuckface in the morning. <laughs> Prove that you made it this far. <laughs> Thank you so much for making it this far. Yes. It's almost like you went on a 21-game winning streak. Yes. 22, actually, John. Oh, they made it to 22? Good for them. Yes, they did. All right. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring.